2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 12. Let's read it together. The Bible says, And then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or to send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Father, we thank you for your word today. The entrance of your word brings light. It gives understanding to the simple. I pray that today, as we read your word, that it would come alive in our hearts. Lord, cause us to be changed, challenged, and reformed, convicted, Lord, so that we don't leave this place the same way that we came. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Praise God. Well, as I said, good morning. And if you're joining us, we're glad that you're here. We got all of our digital stuff back fixed and working right. And so thank the Lord for that. But if you were with us this month, the rest of this month, uh, earlier this month, we've been in a series entitled All About the One. And we've been looking at um, the parable in Luke chapter 15 of the lost sheep, uh, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And we've been looking at the urgency of reaching people for Christ. The hour is upon us, and we've got to do what we're going to do for Jesus while it matters. Amen? I don't know if you looked around. The world is not getting better. It's getting worse. The Bible prophesies that that will happen. But the Bible says when darkness covers the earth, and yes, gross darkness to people, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I've always said this, that when the church is at its darkest, or the world is at its darkest, it deserves to see a church shine for Jesus. Amen. Listen, a candle is no more appreciated than in a dark room. And so we're going to continue to shine our light, be the salt of the earth, and to reach people. And once we reach them, disciple them. You know the only reason we reach people is to disciple them? But here's the catch 22. The only reason we disciple people is so they can reach more people. Hello. It has to be a cycle of ebb and flow of reaching people, discipling people, reaching people, discipling people. The hour is too short upon us to play games. We've got to get serious about the great commission and what God has called us to do. Amen. Um, this morning, I was in prayer uh, over the last couple of weeks and I was seeking God about what to, what to minister on over the next couple of weeks. And the phrase... Um, uh, just dropped in my spirit from Psalms where David said, revive us, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. And I felt the Lord deal with me in, in the subject of revive us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with the subject of revival. Everybody say revival. Now, the problem is, is when you say the word revival, it conjures up different things in different people's minds. When some people say revival, they think of a, a three-day or a seven-day meeting on a calendar with a guest speaker, and, and certainly that can encompass the heart of revival, but I want you to know that revival is not as much an event on a calendar as it is an action that takes place in the hearts of God's people. God wants to revive his people again. Can I get an Amen. 
Hallelujah. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to revive us. But this message that I have in my heart this morning, I've entitled, Our Only Hope. Our Only Hope. Now, church, I want you to buckle your seatbelt because ready or not, here it comes. You're not going to be able to avoid what's getting ready to happen. You've heard it in times gone by. It's the same old song and the same old dance. It is the same woman with a different dress on. You're going to hear promises of lower taxes and greater security, more benefits for the poor and the such and so on. Promises, promises, promises. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the upcoming presidential debates. I'm talking about the coming presidential debates. And it's interesting to me that in times gone by, but more recently in, in the last several years, people have become more in tuned with politics. And, and I believe in politics, and the Bible tells us to pray for those who are in authority. The Bible tells us to vote uh, the way that we should and all of those things. We should vote based on our values and, and all of those things. We should do those. That's our responsibility as a citizen inside of this sovereign nation. But I've got a question this morning. When will we ever learn? I'm going to ask it one more time. When will we ever learn? What's that, Pastor? When will we ever learn that our hope is not in Washington? When will the church ever learn that our hope is not in a political party? Listen, we've quote-unquote drained the swamp, and the swamp is still swampy. When will we realize that our hope is only in Jesus Christ? Friends, listen, our hope is in Jesus our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Listen, we can fuss at TV and the pop stars and the pop psychology that comes from Hollywood. We can fuss with the school system and their agendas of teaching things to our children. We can fuss at the political systems. We can fuss at everything around us. But the truth of the matter is this. If the world is the way the world is, it is partly because of the condition of the church. It's been said that as the church goes, so the world goes. Here's the truth, my friend, that the world is so churchy and the church is so worldly that it's hard to tell the difference at times. We got to get back to old-fashioned Bible preaching, Pentecostal revival and fire if this nation is going to see a turnaround. Come on, is anybody with me? William Booth, the great founder of the Salvation Army, didn't realize how prophetic of a word he was speaking when he uttered these words so many years ago. Notice what William Booth said, and I quote, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, Salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell, end quote. William Booth said that he, he, he foresaw that the greatest challenge that would face the coming generation is to have 
a hybrid gospel that does not have the power to save. Friend, listen, I'm telling you, if the church is truly ever going to change the nation by the power of God, we must get back to the discarded values of the past, find an old-fashioned place around an altar. Do we still remember what altars are? We got to find a place around an altar and seek after God because we need His presence in this hour. Are you still with me? Our nation is messed up. Our children are going to school, and they're learning things that we would never fathom would ever be taught in the educational system. All the while, the church has passed its buck on to other people and other responsibilities, and we become so busy with our lives that we have shirked a responsibility in raising and discipling the children in our homes to know the difference between right and wrong. Parents, we've got so busy in our careers and making a dollar, chasing the almighty dollar that we have forgotten the values of almighty God. And in that, our children have been raised by iPhones and Galaxy tablets and, and, and computers and, and don't know the difference between spiritual discipline and abuse. We have a generation that doesn't ha- know how to respond to the word no. And we've got a generation of parents who could care less. We've got to ask ourselves the question, why is the world so messed up? Because the church has allowed ourselves to get in a position that we're in this morning. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I want to read to you again the context of this passage. It's the dedication of the temple. You know, David had a desire to build this, but because of his actions, he was not allowed to build it. God said, you won't build it, but your son will build it. So Solomon built the temple, and I was reading over the last week, and and, and so many things that were um, involved in the temple, so meticulous. Everything had to be just right. The colors, the, the wood, the type of metals, everything was so meticulous and to the point. God had so much forethought into what he wanted his house to look like. But what we find is that when Solomon goes to dedicate this temple, we find that this passage references the judgment that would often come upon the land because of the condition of the people. But See, Solomon shares with us that God's plan is always redemption and restoration. God's plan is always redemption and restoration. So I want to read it again with you. Let's read it. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. But notice this. When I shut up the heavens and there is no rain... Or I command the locusts to devour the land. Or I send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Solomon is referencing the judgment that would come upon the nation of Israel as God would sovereignly lift his hand off of them. You see, a lot of people tend to think that God is just so, 
you know, Mamby Pamby and Greasy Grace and doesn't matter what you do, how you live, his blessing will always be upon your life. Listen, God always loves us, but that doesn't mean he always approves of what we do. Your children can be messed up out in the street and end up in prison and you love them, but you don't appreciate what got them there. And God is the same way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He always wants to draw us back to a place of repentance and fellowship with him. But listen, friends, we cannot forget that there are consequences to our actions. Verse 13 says, when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain. In the scripture, the Old Testament particularly, rain was the sign of the blessing of the Lord. It, it caused the crops to, to bloom and to be plentiful and, and all of those things. And not only the, the rain was a sign of blessing, but the, the bountiful crops. But here the scripture says that if God was to command the locust to devour the land or to send the pestilence among his people, his hand lifted, in essence, was a, was a permission for the adversary to devour them. Because as long as they walked in God's blessing and they were obedient, God would bless them. When they got out from under God's blessing, things happened. See, folks, we wonder why things are happening in America like they are. But I, I want you to know something, that when our forefathers came into this land many, many, many years ago, and they established it and dedicated it to God, although this nation wasn't perfect, and there were some things that I'm glad has changed throughout the years, they did seek to honor God, not just any God, not just some generic God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they sought to serve and to honor the God of the Bible. And so this was a land that was dedicated into the hands of God. But guess what? Through laws and things that have changed now, uh, America has become a very vile nation. With, and, and thank God the tides have turned in a lot of things. But let me just tell you something, my friend. We've got to keep turning the boats. We think just because we won the battle with abortion that we've won everything. We got to keep turning the tide, my friend. We got to keep seeking after God. We've got to stand for righteousness in a wicked land. We got to seek after God with all of our hearts. But they came here and they sought God. They dedicated this land to him. Throughout the passage of time, we begin to turn America into something that was not what they had intended it to be. We live in a land where everything is accepted. Nothing is wrong. If you look at the violence and the crime and the divorce rates and all of the things that you can see, alcohol, presumption, drug, um, production, all of those things, America is right there at the forefront of those things. Church attendance is at an all-time low. Yeah, look around this room this morning. It may look like it's full, but it's full of new people. Where are the old saints at? Huh? Where are they at? At home offended? At home upset? Where are they at this morning? Friends, the Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away. We're seeing America being shaken right now. Listen, the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. 
You might think you're firm right now, but don't be surprised, my friend, if God doesn't shake your foundation. And at the end of the day, you're going to find out, am I really standing for Jesus or am I built on a facade, built on sand? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Israel constantly was in and out and in and out and in and out. And when Solomon was dedicating this beautiful temple, I love what he said here. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He gives them their only hope to national renewal. I want you to notice something. This verse, this passage, although we claim it as personal, it's not a personal verse. This is dealing with the whole nation. The nation of Israel, God's people, if they will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and notice this, I will heal their land. Does anybody want the land of America to be healed? Come on. I still believe there's hope for America. I still believe God has a plan for America. I still believe that there's revival for America. I still believe the churches can be full again in America. I believe God still has one more move in this nation. But our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in the Lord. I know people say, well, pastor, you know, that's that's the Old Testament. God doesn't deal with us like that anymore. You know, that was the dispensation of the law, and, you know, we're under grace today. Well, you know, I'm glad Peter thought of that. I want you to read what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. You ready? Peter writes these words, and here's what he says. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, then what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, then where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Here's what he's trying to say this morning. He's trying to say, if we're going to judge the world, then first we're going to have to judge the church. He said, if we're going to look down our long religious nose and talk about how bad the church is and how bad the world is, we're going to have to first look introspectively in the mirror of God's Word and judge the church because he says judgment has to begin in the house of God. Friend, listen to me. We cannot see the speck in our brother's eye until we get the log out of our own. You can't see it properly. If my people, there's not a more powerful word that I can find in this passage other than this two little, two little, two little letter word, if, if, if. The word if is a word of contingency. The word if, something that we need to be accustomed with. If you do this, then this. If you do this, then this. See, it's not automatic. 
If then. Somebody say, if, if then. If, if then. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I believe what we see in this passage this morning, in this message I've entitled, Our Only Hope, is a, is a strategy or a formula, if you will, of seeing renewal in our land. And as I, as I look at this, there's a couple of things I want to see. But first of all, the first thing, if you're taking notes, in order to have revival, number one, we must have, you ready? Humility. We've got to have humility. Humility is an important piece of the puzzle. God's people must humble themselves. Humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Let me tell you something about humility. The Bible says God exalts the humble, but the proud he brings low. In the way of the kingdom, the way up is down. God is looking for a people that have humility in their lives. But do you know that today we have a severe lack of humility? There's a lack of humility in the body of Christ. I see it all the time. See people arguing back and forth on social media, arguing back and forth on YouTube, arguing back and forth with their church leaders. They're proud. They strut around like a peacock with his feathers, unsubmitted to God, unsubmitted to spiritual authority, unsubmitted to anything. And by the way, can't tell them nothing. Unteachable, full of knowledge, ever learning, but never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. Folks, listen, we need humility if we're ever going to see revival in our land again, we're going to have to come to the end of ourselves and realize we don't have it all. We don't know it all. We've got to have the Lord. We've got to get to a place where we grieve over our sin. There's one thing to grieve over getting caught and going to jail. It's another thing to grieve over our actions. I was thinking about humility this week, and something came up into my, into my heart. And I want to share this with you because I think it's so important for us to see this. You have two leaders in the Bible, Saul and David. Two leaders, Saul and David. Saul had great insecurity issues. David should have been the one who had insecurity issues. He was the least one to be picked. He was the least one to be voted most successful in his family and all of the above. But you know what? He was the last in line and God anointed him king. Saul, on the other hand, had the prestige. He had the power. He had the servants. He had the wives. He had all of those things. But yet the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. 
You know, we used to sing that old chorus. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will. Yeah, there you go. But nobody says commit adultery like David committed adultery. Or get in war like David got in war. When you look at Saul's life, you ready for this? You look at Saul's life, there's no record of Saul having problems with his children. But Absalom tried to kill David. If you look at his life, you don't see the adulterous scandal like you saw in David's life. But how does the book of Acts record that David was a man after God's own heart? Can I tell you? I'm going to anyway. In 1 Samuel 28, you don't have to turn there, Saul was confronted by Samuel. Saul did not obey the Lord. And Saul got to a place to where he said, I can't, I can't hear from the Lord anymore. He, he got to a place to where he was in despair and his leadership in the kingdom was failing and he was fearful of losing the kingdom. And here Samuel came and gave him a word from the Lord. And the Bible says that Saul wept bitterly. Why? Because the kingdom was being stripped. The Bible says this, the kingdom has been stripped from you this day. But in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David was confronted by Nathan. After the fiasco with Bathsheba and pregnancy and murder and treason and all types of things have been committed. Nathan shows up and tells David, the man that steals the sheep, David, you're the man. The Bible says that David wept and he fasted and he was remorse. See, Saul, when he was confronted, he was worried about losing the kingdom. But David, when he was confronted, he was bitter over his sin. I love the way Psalm 51 verse 11 says it. Here's what David said at the end of his situation after Nathan had confronted him. Psalm 51 verse 11. Here's what David said. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Saul was worried about losing the kingdom. David was worried about losing the anointing. That's the difference between pride and humility. Listen, let me tell you something. I would rather be right in private than to be wrong in public. We got to get back to a place of humility in the body of Christ to say, Lord, you need to humble me. We've got too many rock stars on the platform these days. Ministry is not about you. It's about Christ. It's about ministering to the people on behalf of the Lord. We need humility. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? we got to have humility. Here's the second thing. We must have hunger. Got to have hunger. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, notice this, and pray and seek my face. And pray and seek my face. We've got to have hunger. I think that if we were to ask people today how hungry they were for God, I think most people would tell you, I'm hungry for God. 
The problem is, is that though hunger is always evidence in pursuit. Hunger is always evidence in pursuit. See, what you are hungry for, what you crave, what you desire, you will pursue it until you receive it. We must have hunger. We have to humble ourselves, pray, and seek his face. You say, Pastor, I'm hungry. Are you? Are you hungry? Where's the attendance at at prayer meetings? Too busy? Where's faithfulness to church? Well, we're faithful to ball practice. Listen, we have no problem with T-ball unless it's on Wednesday night. Hello. Where's our hunger to read the Word of God? We can read Facebook and Instagram and Wikipedia and romance novels, but have no time to read the Word of God. I ask the question again, where is your hunger? Where's your hunger for the presence of God? When's the last time you found yourself in a place of prayer and you didn't leave until somebody else showed up with you? I'm talking about getting to a place of prayer to where you go in a room and there's the omnipresence of God, but, but before you leave, there's the manifest presence of God. Where's the hunger for God's presence? See, we say we want revival, but that's really not what we mean. What we mean is we want excitement. What we mean is we want the preacher to tell us how to have a bigger house, a bigger car, and not confront our sin. What we really mean is we want our church to grow. We just want the pastor and staff to do it. What we really mean is we just want everything to be flowery and hunky-dory. But the truth of the matter is when you get hungry for spiritual things, you're willing to throw yourself prostrate on the altar of God and say, God, I'm not moving this place until you consume my life with your fire. We must have spiritual hunger in our lives. I can tell you why we're not hungry. The same reason our children don't want to eat dinner. Too many sugary snacks before mealtime. Hello. Hello. See, because whatever you eat the most is what you develop an appetite for talked about that last week. If all you want is chicken nuggets and french fries and you never eat anything else, you'll never develop a hunger for the things that are necessary for your growth. We've got to have diversity in our food. We've got to develop spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger in our lives. When's the last time we've Cried out to God and said, God, I'm not leaving this place until you speak to me. Lord, I'm not leaving this place until you give me instruction. When's the last time you knelt at an altar and stayed a little while? When's the last time you lifted your hands in worship? I said, Father, here I am. It's not my brother. It's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Where is our hunger? 
we got to get back to a place of spiritual hunger in our lives. The world is hungry. They're hungry for sin, lasciviousness. They're hungry for filth and disgust. It's evidenced by the, grow, the droves of people who show up to the theaters to watch the filth every single week. And they pay great price. Got Christian people paying a thousand bucks to go listen to Taylor Swift say the name of the Lord in vain. But they won't come to revival. They won't come to church. Hello, somebody. Pastor, what has gotten into you? The fire of God has gotten into me. You got to have spiritual hunger. Folks, listen, at the end of the day, the reason why we don't do more for God, quit making excuses. Stop it. Nobody wants to hear it. At the end of the day, the reason why you don't do more for God is you're not hungry. The reason you're not generous is you're not hungry. The reason why you're not winning the loss is you're not hungry. If you have hunger, hell can't stop you. Hell can't stop you. Are you just with me this morning? All right, three people. That's enough to keep going. Number three, number three. Do you still love me? I hope so. Number three. Number three. You got to have holiness. We've got to have humility. We've got to have hunger. We've got to have holiness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. We've we got to have holiness, folks. We've got to have holiness. See, oftentimes we like to turn our attention to the world and say how bad the world is. And the church likes to address the world's adultery. But we don't like to address the church's gossip. We like to look at the world's gambling. But we don't want to look at the church's dishonor. We like to look at all the things that are out there without ever looking in here. And here's what the Lord says. If we're going to have revival in our land, we got to get back to a place of holiness. we got to have humility. We've got to have spiritual hunger. And we've got to have holiness in our lives. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Isaiah the prophet said, there's a highway there, and the highway is called holiness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've got to have holiness. Folks, why would anybody want our Jesus if our Jesus looks just like them? Talks just like them, walks just like them, smarts off just like them. I heard somebody the other day, they got mad at something, and as a Christian person, they got mad about something, and they, they this, this isn't to you, Severin, but this is really the truth that happened. They said, that's just my German coming out. As an excuse to be mean to somebody, that's just my German coming out. To which I heard somebody reply, yeah, but the scripture says in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek. So if there's no Jew nor Greek, there's no German either. That's just your flesh. Amen. you got to have holiness to serve God. God wants the people of God to turn back to a place to where we run and abstain from sin. Listen, let me tell you how serious God thinks about sin. Not only does he hate sin, he says we need to flee the very appearance of evil. 
We've got to have holiness in our lives. Hallelujah. So, Pastor, what's the point of all this? I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us, come and break up the fallow ground of your heart. You know what the fallow ground is? It's the rocky ground. You know, before, before a farmer can have a successful crop in a field, they have to till it up. They have to plow it up. Because if it's sat for a little while, weeds get in there and grow and rocks get trampled down in there and you end up getting things that grow underneath the surface. You may have some roots, some vines, some things that make it difficult for harvest. So what do you have to do? You have to break up the fallow ground of your heart. Why? So that the Lord can come and rain righteousness upon us. This morning, here's what I'm trying to tell this church. Michael Jackson might have been a crazy individual, but he did have a good song. He said, if you want to change the world, you got to look at the man in the mirror. And I'm staring at the man in the mirror. And I'm asking him to change his ways. Whoo, Jesus. If we ever get to a place in our lives where it's nobody but us and God. Humility says, get rid of the self-righteousness. Hunger says, press into the things of God. Holiness says, walk close to the Lord. Walk close to the Lord. You see, today so many people have the mentality that I'm going to walk so close to the edge and see how far I can get before I fall in. Ask Samson how that worked out for him. But the truth is, I want to stay close to Jesus. Come on, I said I want to stay close to Jesus. There used to be a cop-out, and I'm done. There used to be a cop-out for Christians. People would say, that person, you know, they're, they're on fire for God. They're so, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no, help me, earthly good. But can I tell you that the opposite is more true most of the time? Most people are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. Do we have power to cast out devils? Do we have power to heal the sick? Do we have power to preach the gospel? Do we have power to operate in the gifts of the Spirit? Do we have power to accumulate wealth to send missionaries around the world? Listen, let me tell you something. Great power has been given to the church by the Holy Spirit. But unless we're willing to humble ourselves, unless we're willing to get hungry, unless we're willing to live holy, we may not see the revival in our land. This morning, the challenge is this. Not to leave this message and, and punching somebody in the side. I said, he's talking to you. No, 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 no. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. I never preach something I don't preach to myself first. I'm talking to me. Revive us, oh Lord. 
You know what revival is? There's revival and there's awakening. I don't want to get into the difference between the two because there is a difference. But revival is when that which is dead comes back to life. And the psalmist used the word revive us, and so I want to use it this morning. Revive us, O Lord, that our people may rejoice in you. I love what David said. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Listen, this morning I've been bold. I've been passionate. Some may even say confrontational, but that's not my heart. My heart today is to give you the word of the Lord. That folks, it's time to quit playing games. There are too many people in this world going to hell every single second of the day. There are too many people who are on the verge of making a decision to kill their life, to to end their life with suicide. There are way too many people hooked on drugs. There are way too many women considering abortion, killing their child for us to keep playing games. This morning, if God were to draw a big circle, a big empty circle in front of you, I believe the question he would ask us this morning is this. If you step inside of that circle, are you willing to let me set you on fire? This morning, here's my, here's my, here's my response, here's my question. Today, are you willing to give your life as a sacrifice for Jesus? Say, Lord, here I'm humbled. You see, the proud stand tall. The humble get low. I'm asking you this morning, is anybody willing to humble themselves? Say, Lord, forgive me of my pride. Forgive me for being a know-it-all. God, forgive me for always having a snarky answer when somebody's trying to teach me something. Help me to be humble. Help me to be teachable. I wonder, is anybody here today willing to say, Lord, help my hunger. My appetite has been in too many other things. I've not had time for revival. I've not had time to even pray. I've not had time to read my Bible. I say I'm spirit-filled. I can't tell you the last time I've prayed in the spirit. Lord, make me hungry. I wonder this morning, is there anybody who'll say, Lord, make me holy. Make me holy. Change the appetites in my heart that are contrary to your word. Come on, I wonder, is there anybody today? Can we close this service by building an altar? I'm going to invite you to come. People have already started coming. I'm going to invite you to come right now. I'm not begging you. I'm done with those days. If you want it, it's here for you. Revival can start in your heart today. Don't have to wait till tomorrow. Don't have to wait for a guest speaker. But I'm talking about you want God to step into your life today and give you something fresh.
this morning. His fire, his power, his passion wants to change your life for the better. Lord, make me hungry. Make me holy. Make me humble so that I can be like you. Hallelujah. Come on. If you're where you're at and you can't get to the front, just find a place to pray where you are. And let's pray right now.